You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as he is every day, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, how, um, how many sling tackles did you uh, execute last night? Uh, no, it's not as not one as serious as that. Uh, I don't even know who who did that. Was uh, it Neil Bullen in Bullen, the Melbourne? Yeah. Yep, that was pretty ugly. As far as sling tackles go, that's about as bad as it gets. Yeah, it, it looked terrible. He he also looked pretty like distraught that he'd done it. To be honest, he didn't he didn't look great afterwards. Not that he's the the focus of you know, how things are looking, but he is, uh, he, is <laughs> he is definitely getting weeks after that one. Yeah, it's it's tough. It it really is tough. And he'd already committed to the tackle. And once you have some a, a player by the wrist as he did on this occasion and also had the leverage of the jumper as well. It just became pretty nasty. And again, I mean, this is one of those things where I don't think there was any intent there at all. He clearly wasn't trying to hurt the player. Like we've seen aggressive tackles before where it looks like the player is trying to hurt someone. I don't think that was the case in this instance, but as far as acts that they're trying to stamp out, there's no doubt that this one was, this one is, is one that there's no way you can get away with. Yeah, there's, there's there's just no chance. Like he is going to get minimum one. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if it came in at two. To be honest, considering just how ugly and how like it, the ball was gone and just the way it looked. I think I think you have to. Well, he's got to get one. But would you would you go further? Do you think? I mean, I I don't. <laughs> it, it's hard because when I look at it, I know. Like I sort of said, I, I don't think that he meant it, but. Yeah, I mean, in terms of impact, whatever that grading that they go by, it's going to be severe. Yeah, it I mean, is. it has to. I mean, yeah. he he was knocked out, you know, obviously um, pretty seriously. So uh, I think that he's going to end up getting two or three. I would have thought. Yeah, it's it's what it seems like. There was some interesting things, things that have been in the news, I guess, in that Melbourne Adelaide game, the sling tackle, and then also the uh, the Vandenberg. Yeah, push in the back after someone uh, had had given away a free kick. The the sort of you know the head rub, the the Tom Lynch you know, smack, and he got the the ball reversed, which is what they need to do because it's look it looks dumb. You look like the biggest fake tough guy out there, and while it's you know, shitty for Melbourne fans, they won the game, so I guess they don't really care. But what's what's the point of it? Doesn't it, it's it's just dumb. Well, at that point in the game, Melbourne fans would have still had a, a serious lot of anxiety on their minds. The Crows really stuck around in this game for three quarters, and you're right. At that point, Melbourne only held a four-point lead. They went into quarter time, 3-2-20 to 2-4-16. That one gets reversed. And listen, we've seen this cost teams games. We talked about the one uh, with Jasper Pittard a couple of weeks ago against Carlton that potentially could have cost North Melbourne the game. Uh, This is the same, but I think the more these incidents uh, get called out and the more these free kicks get paid or reversed, then the less chance someone's going to do it. So uh, I think that it was the right call. I'm happy that they're starting to do that a little bit more. And I actually do think over the last couple of games, we've seen a little bit less of it. And maybe that is because they know that they are going to pay a free kick. Maybe the teams have been told, listen, if anyone comes in that wasn't in the contest and shoves someone, rubs someone's head, then there's going to be a free kick. I guess the only other one to mention, we you, you brought it up at the end of yesterday's pod, Tom Lynch looks like, uh, he's going to get a fine for yeah. that action. I still, I still, I saw a lot of players that were, um, a lot of people on Twitter and social media and that sort of stuff that were pretty 
fired up about that one. And maybe a fine wasn't the right approach, again, if they're trying to completely uh, stamp it out. But we'll see moving forward. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I would have been okay with him getting a week for that. But I guess a fine is something, but it's still not. Yeah, I don't think really people take the fines all that seriously. To be honest, it's, it's not a great thing, but they don't they don't take it massively, massively seriously. Um, we were going to talk about Geelong and North Melbourne, but I ruined it with my intro, so we went straight on to to Melbourne and Adelaide. So is, is this is this it for Adelaide? Are they not winning a game the rest of the season? We said this is it. This is the last chance. This is the last. Well, this is the last time we're giving yeah. them that opportunity. Is this it now? Yeah, they're done. And I was actually, uh, I was really excited at three-quarter time because I thought we were in for a battle in the fourth quarter and I thought there was going to be a chance and I thought the Crows fans would have been getting pretty fired up. Uh, but then the Demons just rolled all over them in the last quarter. And and I, it was probably just weight of numbers in the end. The, the Demons had a bunch of, of strong performers. But if you look at the guys that kicked the goals for them, and I, I just thought watching this Melbourne team, they looked more uh, potent up forward more room, more space. Your guy, Luke Jackson, he got very fortunate with a free kick in a ruck infringement that just was not a free kick, and that was unfortunate for the Crows early in the game. But eight disposals, a couple of marks, took kick the first goal of the game, a couple on the night, and Sam Wiedemann continues to look great up forward. Uh, not just deep, where he can take marks, but he gets up the ground uh, and takes those contested marks around 50 and was able to launch the ball inside 50. Jack Viney was a ball. Clayton Oliver was unbelievable. The Demons looked good again. But it is only the Crows. So I think we saw, and we'll touch on it, but I think anytime you beat Adelaide at this point, you almost have to throw out the performance and not really take anything from it because we did see North Melbourne beat this team by 10 goals last week. Yeah, and then we'll talk about that soon. And that didn't obviously translate over to to this week. But you're right, this game was you know, relatively competitive until that last quarter where it was you know, seven goal to one avalanche by Melbourne in that last quarter. But... Not a game that you'd be you know, writing home about just in terms of you know, both teams going under 70% disposal efficiency. Not not great numbers. Um, yeah, Melbourne really dominating the, the clearances as well. 27 to 18 stoppage clearances around the ground and outgained them by over 800 metres, which it would, I guess, would indicate that the, the margin is maybe fair, but... Again, it is a lot in that last quarter that was sort of piled on, but some pretty, uh, pretty poor disposal efficiency numbers overall in this game. Do you want to talk about uh, your boys? We can certainly do so. Before we do that, let me ask you though: Are you yeah. what? What? What are you taking from Melbourne? Not necessarily from this game, but again, I just continually look down their list. I've got the stat sheet from last night in front of me, and, and I look at the names. I look at the players on this team. This should be a good footy team, but I have no faith that they are. I have no faith that they will be. Do you have any belief that Melbourne can make a push? towards the finals here in the last, uh, I guess we're in the last sort of six weeks. Um, well, push towards the finals? No, I don't think so. There's just too much inconsistency there for them. I don't think their best is good enough. It's not like, Their best is okay. It's pretty good. But it's not like, say, you know, I'll, I'll go back to talking about the, the Bulldogs or the Giants and you go, well, when they turn it on, like it's really good. Like it's it's up there. When Melbourne turns on, they become yeah pretty good. Like, okay. Like they're not, they're not turning it on to that level. And then they have the games where they're stinkers which the other teams and the Giants and the Bulldogs seem to be the biggest exponents of that this season, that they have the stinkers too. But their best Melbourne is not at that level. And when yeah, you're you're beating up on a team that hasn't won a game in a year, uh, I don't think we take too much out of that. While they've had some good performances, I just don't think that their best is quite there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And following up from something that we were talking a lot about on yesterday's podcast. I think it very much relates to this Geelong North Melbourne game. We spoke about Brisbane kicking themselves out of the game 
in a, a, a contest that they were playing a genuine contender. Geelong were not. They were playing one of the lower-ranked teams in the league in North Melbourne. But i got to tell you, I don't know whether it was just me and my Geelong anxiety, but when they kicked one goal six in the second quarter, and a lot of those were directly in front of goal from around 30 metres out. Mitch Duncan, I'm looking at you. I thought they were really flirting with something seriously going wrong. Yeah, that second quarter, one goal, six. Uh, I think. guess the good thing is that North Melbourne only had the one scoring shot in that quarter. <laughs> but yeah, that it, you just you hate to see it. And then as a Bulldogs fan, you, you I know all about it because it just seems to happen every game, uh, or at least at least yeah, majority of every game, every season. There's something like this that happens, and it is frustrating because invariably. At least it didn't happen to Geelong here, but invariably the, you have 80% time in forward half. You have 10 shots a goal and kick three goals, and the team goes down there for three inside 50s and kicks two. And you go, what's the point of that? We've split even, even though we've uh, had the had the ball the whole game. And in general, you know, momentum is going to switch back, and there's going to be times where the other team has possession, and it, you're always just fearing it. And I reckon that because it's such a commonplace thing that happens, that it is almost one of those self-fulfilling prophecy type things is that you go in there, you have a few shots, you miss, you dominate the ball, and then you're out there playing and you go, shit, like we've had so much of the ball, we've got to score because if we don't, like they're going to go down and score. And then you overforce it and you make panic decisions and then you might make that turnover that enables them to get out and kick the easy goal and you go, see, knew it was going to happen. It's almost one of those that it's such a wide, well-known, widespread phenomenon that the players, I reckon, might buy into it a little bit as well. And they, they then they put that extra pressure on themselves. We've got to convert. We've got to convert. We've got to convert. And maybe leads to uh, to that actually getting worse. Well, in the fourth quarter, I mean, North Melbourne actually were able to kick some goals and kick four goals in the fourth. And they're able to get rolling a little bit there. And they were at least threatening the Cats in the last quarter. And Geelong were just able to kick... Uh, straight there on a few opportunities. Hawkins was was the one that I think took a, a pretty good contested mark on the boundary line and, and got one home that really uh, made you feel pretty comfortable if you're a Cats fan. But the ball was dominated by Geelong. But the inside 50 is only 48 to 45. So North Melbourne had their chances. But where uh, they let themselves down, only 26.7% efficiency inside 50. And, and all night long, all day long, all night, whatever you want to call it, it was a weird time to start this game. Uh, they were just kicking it to the Geelong defenders. And we know the Geelong defenders in the air are pretty strong. Jack Henry led all comers with eight intercept possessions. But, uh, you know, they've got Harry Taylor, Tom Stewart, Lockie Henderson, who I, I said... You wrote him off. Was going, yeah, I did. I, I didn't think he was going to play AFL again. And I, I think a big part of that was me not really understanding where he fit in this Geelong team with Harry Taylor down there and also Mark Blitzarves. But we've seen the Cats using Blitzarves in some different roles. I think you can get away with that against a team like North Melbourne. But Ben Brown went down early, and yeah. that's worth talking about. Uh, just back in the team, we know he's had a pretty tough year of it. So it didn't look great, and I, I guess we'll wait and see how long he is going to miss. But no doubt that was a blow for the Roos. Yeah, uh, of course. Now, we, we, he has struggled quite a bit. We've heard that he's had personal issues as well, which, of course, is terrible for him and, and his uh, partner. But his footy's also been off, which I'm sure is connected in some way. And then to get dropped and come back and get injured uh, in the way he did, we don't know any details. You would expect there is some time on the sidelines there. And as you mentioned, with you know, six weeks to go before the finals, is is this it for him? Like, There's a real chance that this could be the end of his season. North Melbourne probably not making the finals, almost definitely not making the finals. Knee injury could be four weeks, could be six weeks. It could be it for him. It could, and... I, the one point I will just make on the, the team in general, and when we spoke about the opportunities, the Cats may have wasted an opportunity 
for uh, some pretty important percentage if you're looking at top four come the end of the year. I mean, how frustrated would you be about that if you were Chris Scott looking at that and saying, well, okay, we had 25 scoring shots to 12 and we only won by five goals in a game that uh, we, we seriously could have blown this team out by 10, 12 goals if we kick straight. Yeah, and, and letting them kick four in the last quarter as well. Like, yep. You keep a team to five, six goals, that's a real percentage booster when they get yep. up to nine, which they did here. That yeah, sort of cuts into that. So look, it could have been... Yeah, what are they? They just kicked thirteen, twelve. You could have been at say seventeen goals and kept them to six. Yeah, that's that's a big that's a big big win, but that didn't happen. Yeah, getting the win is important. Um, but yeah, they would have liked to lose. What did you think of getting uh, Reece Stanley back? How did you think he went in that Todd Goldstein matchup? Uh, he was okay. I mean, he the the thing about Reece Stanley is you're not putting him in the middle to get you clearances. Again, he's going to be that guy, almost that that fifth midfielder that you have or fourth midfielder that you have rolling around. And we saw it on a couple of occasions where the hit out went to ground and, and Stanley, the one situation you really do like him is when the ball's in the deck and he can run onto it and pick it up and, and move the ball forward. He's clean. He's got great skills for a big fella. So uh, I think that that's where the advantage is, but I don't feel comfortable with him going up against the Todd Goldstein or, uh, you know, next week on Monday against Rowan Marshall, and, and maybe Friday night against Peter Adams, Port Adelaide, Geelong got a tough run. So, yeah, against the, the top Ruckman, you don't feel comfortable about uh, getting center clearances. It's He's going to join the midfield brigade and, and try and rove off the other Ruckman. So I thought he was okay. Again, he should have taken a mark in the goal square and, and put one through. The last one on this game before we move to yet another doubleheader tonight, which is very fun. I think tonight's doubleheader is a lot better than last night's. Yes. Cam Guthrie. I think at this point would probably be leading Geelong's best and fairest. So you would be right up there. Maybe Mike Blitzabs would be the one that would have a case. Last night, 29 disposals, seven inside 50s, eight score involvements, six clearances. He's just super clean right now. And he's a guy that in any contested scenario, clearance situation, you feel that he's going to be dangerous. I think he's been Geelong's best player this year. Is he someone that's going to be in all Australian contention? Um. Best player for Geelong? Yeah, maybe. He's just always... He just always is around. Like, you just always see him doing something. We saw in that game against Fremantle a couple of weeks ago, those really clean pickups. He just is always hard, but he's uh, clean as well with disposal and with handling the ball. Um, His last six weeks in particular have been really strong in terms of accumulating the ball. He's taking grabs, he's laying tackles, he's getting clearances. Um, He's doing a lot of work. Um, I guess you could say that Dangerfield season's been a little bit up and down. He's had some yeah. big, big games. Yeah, the Brisbane one comes to mind, but hasn't been spectacularly good. Selwood's been injured. I would say Guthrie has been better than Blitzarves this season. I haven't watched every game as intently as as you have. So it's really, yeah, maybe Tommy Hawkins with all his yeah, forward involvement work and score involvement and yeah, setup work. I think he's been important, but it is pretty hard to go past Guthrie for what he's done. I would agree with that. I think he's having a career best season. He's uh, 28 years old now, I think, so he's in the prime of his career. And what he's done is he's allowed things like yesterday where Dangerfield spends the majority of the game up forward as well. And Chris Scott, after the game, interestingly enough, said that uh, they want to play Dangerfield as a, as a permanent forward if they can get away with it in the midfield. We'll see how that pans out. Doubleheader tonight starts with Collingwood-Sydney, and I feel like we're in this position every couple of weeks with the Pies, but they're well and truly back under pressure again. Uh, last week, they had more distractions off-field. This is more about the on-field stuff. And they play a Sydney team that last week uh, were really blown away by St. Kilda. But outside of that, uh, they've been super competitive. And when I look at the ins for Collingwood, they get some 
some experience back. Ben Reid comes in, which I'll touch on in just a little bit. Callum Brown, Jordan Ruffhead, and a debutant, Trey Rusco. Trey Rusco comes in. While for the Swans, there's a bunch of changes and uh, some young guys. Jackson Thurlow comes back in. He hasn't played for a while. They've dropped Nick Blakey, which is interesting, the young key forward. He's had a bit of a rough time of it, but we are seeing a lot of changes as it is. What do you see from this game? Because for me, the thing that stands out, and uh, listeners of the podcast will know I've said this before, if Collingwood are going to be in the grand final, you feel like they're going to have to win 50-30 to 30 because they've really struggled to kick scores. They've only kicked 10 goals in two games this year and haven't done And One of those came against your mob back in March, the Dogs, and the other time was against St Kilda, which was a long, long time ago now. They're really, really struggling to kick goals. We know Jordan Dugowie is out for maybe the whole home and away season. They've brought Ben Reid in. He's named a full forward. This seems like a, a major stopgap <laughs> attempt at, at finding a target up forward for mine. Where are the goals going to come from with the Pies? Well, it's going to have to be. It's going to have to try and be Reid. Look, he's still got a little bit of firepower there. Jaden Stevenson, we know he can you know, jump up and, and kick a few. Jamie Elliott, Hoskin Elliott, Majacek. Um, they've named Sidebottom in the forward line. I'm not necessarily sure that's where he'll end up playing. But you're, you're right, it is... It is hard. Like these guys, you go. Well, they're good. Like my check's good. Stevenson's good. But who is? You know, how? How much do you trust it? Now I think going up against Sydney probably uh, probably helps in mm-hmm. in that respect because they're they're not as good as some other opponents, and it's going to allow some of these guys to maybe you know, get off the chain a little bit and you know, get some easier easier matchups. But you know the def- Rampy Alia down there, these aren't. You know, Jake Lloyd, of course, these aren't bad defenders. Like These are guys who are pretty strong, and that's probably the strength of this Sydney team when you compare their back line to their forward line outside of maybe Tom Papley. Probably there's more strength down back for Sydney. So, yeah, look, it is interesting. They need to and they need to break break out of it. I, I really think that you know, Josh Dacos, not that he's going to be a big goal kicker, but I like the way he can create goals for others. And I think getting him into getting more of that ball through half forward for him and setting guys up can be a way just to get that ball into his hands a little bit more. He's been a little bit down, but I think he's probably an option that I'd like to see you know, set up a little bit more coming through half forward. Yeah, this is this is the question with Collingwood, and we spoke about it. Yeah, right. This is this is nothing new. This isn't anything that shocked us. We've spoke about their medium sized forwards right at the start of the season. The one thing I'll say with Sydney. And you speak about, yeah, the the names on paper. I mean, this isn't an all-star backline, No question about that. Alira Lear is still a developing player. He probably hasn't come on as far as what we thought he was going to probably 24 months ago. But what they do have is a genuine star in Dane Rampey. So even if you have Ben Reid or... I mean, who does Rampey go to? Is it just automatically that he'll go to Ben Reid? Probably. I, I, I would yeah. guess so. Unless, yeah, I guess it just depends on where they set those guys up. But if Reed's going to be, yeah, be deep, it probably is. I wouldn't mind Rampy on my check, but I think you've got to stick him on Reed initially. I think so. So so this is the problem for me with Collingwood when I when I look at this team. I mean, you've you've named, you've rattled off all the names. I mean, these guys can get you, maybe they can have a four-goal game every few weeks, but against the quality backline, against the quality team, do you have any faith that there's one guy, there's a, there's a spearhead, there's a target that, there's no one there. They just don't have one. So where are they going to manufacture that from? Or is it simply going to be, well, let's ride this out till Togoe gets back and hopefully <laughs> hopefully he hits full form. Uh, he's been a guy in the past that has struggled a little bit when he's came back and taken a few weeks to really get rolling. Clearly, he was in pretty good form uh, when he went down with this injury. But yeah, I, I just don't know where it's going to come from with the Pies. And they get Jordan Ruffhead back, so that's a, a nice one for them to slot back into the back line. 
But even that defense has started to look a little bit leaky the last couple of weeks, and they weren't giving up anything at the start of the year. So they're on shaky ground. This is a game that they shouldn't have any problems with, and I expect Collingwood will win this one. But they're a, they're a team to watch moving forward. I, I don't really know where they stand all of a sudden, and I certainly did not expect that to be the case at the start of the year. Yeah, um, it's like all these guys are all second forwards and, and secondary yeah, targets. Exactly. Uh, ben Reed's played 14 games in two years, hasn't played at all this year as well, and he's 31 years of age. I, I don't think we're relying upon him to do that much. He kicked 11 goals last year in eight games, which is not a terrible return, but it's also you know, how much, how good is he going to be in his first game back and you know, how little footy he's actually played over this time. So it, there are some concerns there, but I think overall you feel pretty good about Collingwood getting the win here against yep. Sydney. Like I don't think we're really debating that. It's going to come down to just how they look and how that can translate through to, to other games. I think the other game is way more interesting though. Yeah, the Go- Gold Coast St. Kilda, <laughs> the second game of the night. We know St. Kilda has been flying, sitting fourth at the moment. The Suns, a little bit wobbly. They've dropped to four and five at the moment. But this is a, a real chance, Gold Coast at home. I still feel like St. Kilda is probably the way that we're going here uh, in terms of you know, who we're looking to win. They get Ben Long back, Dean Kent comes back, while uh, Pierce Hanley and Darcy McPherson are out for Gold Coast. So you know, the, the the balance of the ins and outs probably favors St. Kilda there as well. Um, which, uh, which King boy do you think is going to kick more goals? Well, I think the Saints are going to win the game. I think they're going to kick more goals. So give me... There's Ben, right? Max. It's Max. Yeah. Give me, give me Max. Give me Max. I think that I like the Saints. And the reason I like the Saints is when I look at their shot chart, I've got it in front of me right now that uh, is on statsinsider.com.au. They're very different charts that we're looking at here. If I can try and uh, you know, describe this for you right now, the Saints have a bright patch of red right up the guts, right up the guts from the goal square all the way to the 50. They have a few shots sort of uh, spread out across the 50-meter arc. But they're not kicking. They're not having shots from the pockets, basically, at all this season. That is not where they are scoring from. If you look at the Suns, the majority of their shots are coming from deep in the pockets, on the boundary line, or outside 50. So the Saints, uh, all season long, have been able to find easy shots on goal. And we talk about this, how quickly you move the ball, your transition from back line through to the forward line. That's what's allowed the, the Saints to get these looks. They're inside, their forward 50 is always open. You think about, about uh, a guy like King, you think about Membry, you think about these other players that have been able to come in and take marks for the Saints, but it's also the little guys that they always seem to get a bunch of goals every game where they run into an open goal, whether always. it's Dan Butler. Yeah, I mean, Dan Butler's the number one <laughs> culprit here. He is always running free inside 50 and gets easy goals. Uh, Loney's another one that has been uh, getting on the end of those ones. And from time to time, the backmen get up there as well, whether it's Jones, uh, Brad Hill. So the Saints are just super dangerous with their ball movement and how they enter inside 50. And just to, just to uh, I guess, emphasize this point, the Saints have five players this season kicking over 60% with over 60% accuracy at goal. Jack Billings is one at 78%. Again, I would imagine he's taken some pretty good shots. Rowan Marshall, Tim Membry, Max King, and Dan Butler, all over 60%. The Suns don't have one player kicking uh, over 60% on the season. And as I just mentioned, 72% of the Saints' shots are coming from the corridor corridor compared to only 59% for the Suns. So uh, St. Kilda for mine, this is going to be the interesting uh, thing to watch from this game. Can the Suns slow the, the Saints' ball movement down and stop them from having those really dangerous entries and uh, on the... Uh, inverse of that, what are the Suns going to do moving the ball inside 50? Can they get easy goals? Well, this is something that we talk about all the time. And we talk about 
um, the the difference between an inside 50. And St. Kilda was a team that was absolutely horrible at kicking uh-huh. goals last year. And this year, they're one of the best teams and most accurate teams. And that plays out in looking at that shot chart because we talk about you know, getting the easy ones, but also their shots. Look where they're coming. Like Look how, look at where the position of these shots of goal are coming. And they're making getting the shots into the right areas and converting them. So they're doing what they need to do by getting it to the right spot. And then the forwards are converting as they need to because you can get inside 50s and have a bloke 45 meters out in the boundary. It's inside 50. Oh, you didn't convert it. What? It doesn't matter like because that's a really hard kick. 30 meters out directly in front, it's an easy kick. And I think so much of those em- those empty goal square type running in goals, it's just it's an indicator of work rate a lot of the time. We've seen plenty of clips of guys like yeah. Butler and Hill and Ross and those guys here running forward and just making the guy that should be looking after them look embarrassed from not just putting in that extra run, that extra 50, 60 meter run to get into position. And they are embarrassing teams continually. And that's a work rate thing. It's a focus thing as well. And Gold Coast, everyone knows about it. That's the thing. So it's not like, oh, they're surprising me because we're seeing it every week. They all know about it, but you have to be focused about it. You have to be switched on to know, geez, I cannot let off for five minutes here, two seconds even, because the bloke that I'm standing next to is going to be off. And if I'm not there, because these guys are quick, uh, how am I going to stop it? And, and I think they're going to overpower Gold Coast here with with some of this running and, and the midfield ability with the, the form of guys like Gresham at the moment. Zach Jones, Brad Hill, you know, still got some room to improve there, but in, most importantly, Jack Steele and the uh, emergence of Hunter Clark. I think it's going to be tough for uh, Gold Coast to, to get this one, but it is absolutely the most interesting game of the night. Well, it's a critical game. The Saints, if they win, will move up into second on the ladder. If they lose, they'll find themselves most likely out of the top four. Or I mean, we can say definitely out of the top four at the end of this round. So, And again, as we mentioned, a pretty interesting game next week against Geelong, both those teams trying to get into the top four. So for the Saints, they delivered a couple of weeks ago against Port Adelaide. And for Gold Coast, if they, if they lose this game, they're going to find themselves right out of touch with the eight. I, I think we both predicted pretty early in the season that we thought this might be the case. They've been super competitive, though, and that's the difference between this version of the Suns and years gone by, they haven't just won those early games and then completely dropped off the map. They're super competitive, but if they lose this one, they're going to find it hard going uh, a game out of out of the eight uh, moving forward. But yeah, super interesting game. I got the Saints in the end, though. I do think they're just going to overpower the Suns, and we'll see. We'll see though. Who knows? Maybe you know. I'm sure we'll hear a lot about Isaac Rankin on the uh, on the broadcast. Oh, you maybe, reckon? Maybe he'll kick four or five goals. Maybe he'll kick four or five goals. Who knows? I reckon we might we might get a couple of comments about him just. Uh, just Anytime he goes near the ball, yeah. yeah. Pretty much every time. That's all we're going to hear. But that's fine because he is exciting. But you don't want to overhype the guys too much because then people get a bit annoyed that he's not actually doing anything and he's getting all this attention. But that's fine. Let's watch his game. Let's watch both these games tonight, Kane. And then we'll reconvene tomorrow to talk about what we saw and uh, then talk about somehow the end of this round, which is occurring on Friday. Thanks again, Kane, for uh, for another great show. Yep, round 10 ends tomorrow. Round 11 starts Saturday. So that's uh, that's just what we're doing here. But I will be back tomorrow. And I'm glad that I came on the pod today. I was a little bit concerned, as I said, at halftime yesterday that I might have to bail on you today. Well, guys, hope you hopefully you're not bailing and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating and review as well. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Adam Uze.